Eagle Hour acknowledges the traditional owners of the land upon which we record, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Good evening, everybody. I'm Good Brother. And I'm Will Silky. And welcome to Ego Hour, the show where we deliver objectively true film reviews. Start the time for me, Tom. Anything said over the next 60 minutes will stand up in a court of law, and any vacuums you find yourself in. These reviews are non negotiable, non bloody refundable, and non descript. So, let's talk about 2001 A Space Odyssey. Bum Released on the 3rd of April, 1968, in the US, 2001 A Space Odyssey, also known by its alternative release title, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, is a space adventure sci-fi slasher philosophical entry on the meaning of life and the significance of humans. The film contains three episodes chronicling the first use of tools by our human ancestors, a significant discovery on the moon, and the first manned journey to Jupiter. The film was made on an estimated $12 million budget, roughly $91.3 million today, and made upwards of $146 million in return. Initially critically panned, the film has since achieved classic status and is widely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time. Clocking in with a runtime of 142 minutes, the film may just leave you wondering, did Floyd's daughter ever get her bush baby? Yeah. Yeah, that's what all you've what got. St- yeah. What else has she been in? That was a star performance. Do you know who she is? I can lead with this. I wasn't going to. Let's, well, I mean, let's go. She is Kubrick's daughter, Vivian. Um, oh. She is a composer. She did the score for Full Metal Jacket. She has since... Whoa. Yeah. Which is how many years later? Like uh, 16 or something? Yeah, something like that. She grew up 1970s. Uh, no, I think it'd only be like nine years or something. 10 years maybe. You think that she went from that and then 10 years later was composing? Wait, yeah, that doesn't sound right, does it? <laughs> Let me check. She I was, only composed in my first film at, <laughs> at 26. She was a prodigy. But on the uh, more unfortunate side, she is cancelled because she's made tweets supporting QAnon, the Proud Boys. She likes Alex Jones, <laughs> the whole, the whole <laughs> kit and caboodle. Maybe if her father was home and not off in space, more often she'd... Um... Full Metal Jacket was 1987, which is, of course, 19 years later. But yeah, that was the tone that I considered starting on, but I, don't, I didn't want to start on, so let's which start. Part? The QAnon part or the... Yeah, the sad part of it. <laughs> the part. the okay. uh, unfortunate Well, let's hope part. it's all smooth sailing from here on out. Yeah, hopefully she'll turn it around. Where to go? This movie, it's finally happening. This is a big episode. This is ep 26 of the Ego Hour podcast, which is, of course, 26 weeks of recording, sort of, which sort of means that we are half a year into this. It's been half a year consistently releasing episodes, which I'm pretty weekly doing it. We've done a good job. I'm pretty impressed. I'm glad we're here. And to do it on maybe probably my favorite film ever is quite exciting. I feel like there's a lot to say about. I'm curious to hear your favorite film ever speech because i knew that was a thing and then watching this this time Mm -hmm. i 
was like, wow, I don't know if I get this being Tom's favorite film. And not because of the film itself, but because of you, My yourself. personality. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's not lead with that. Let's go into why should you watch this film. And cue the track. Why? Why should you watch this film? Why? I'll tell you why. Smart. That's why. Funny. That's why. Intelligent. That's why. Sexy. Why should you watch this movie? Number one, you should watch this movie if you like space movies and you want to see where every single convention of the space movie came from. The, even the, I guess it's not, it's just like a popularization of a lot of things and everything, like all your, all your Simpsons knowledge will come out when you watch this movie and just like put, put in the nut, is it the Nutcracker in space? That's just a classic track and the, just, yeah, you can sing the songs, but. Dung, 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 dung. You should watch this movie if you like cinema that feels vintage. I think this is an important part of the film. This is like, it has all the, the grandeur of, um, of watching an old film that you want. Because you know how you watch old films and you're like, I just want to feel that good old-fashioned like studio system suppressing the creative freedom but also promoting classical techniques that defined the filmmaking industry. This film feels vintage, um, and I guess that's part of what's so charming about it. Everyone talks a bit funny. The film looks a bit like like you get a texture and a grain and stuff. The the audio is just that good old fashioned like 60s, 70s mono track audio, which just feels about, a certain way. And yeah, I I love the the sound design and like the opening monk like the ape scenes. Oh, like <laughs> the screaming. And like the clipping, yeah, uh, it's, it's it, it works though. Like you know, if you could, it's just weird because you'll never be able to stylistically do that because this, you know, like peaking just isn't nice. It's like shooting low res footage when you can just shoot well, high it depends. res footage. But... It depends about you know, it doesn't not it doesn't never sound nice because obviously a lot of peaking is a, a style and mm. genres. Yes. I think that obviously because that's all analog gear, it certainly sounds something that we're more happy to hear than, you know. But you're you're, you're willing to put up with it. it. It's just part of the package. Because like honestly, he wouldn't have wanted audio that peaked. You can't tell me that. Yeah. Um. Anyway, just those screechy monkeys. It's just a, a vibe. It's just like. So if you like cinema that feels vintage, number three. If you like philosophy and thinking about the meaning of life slash even the meaning of art. Um, I'd say this is probably the biggest, one of the biggest sweeping nets for this film because I'm sure a lot of people watch this film because they've heard it's good, but then I can imagine there is a distinct fork in the road that appears about the, like maybe, well, I was going to say the 20 minute mark of this movie, but literally even like the first four minutes, a person in our viewing party was was like, why is the screen still black? Why is there music playing and no image? What's going on here? This film is full of forks in the road where you can give in to the movie experience or you can go, why am I watching this? And my guess would be that if you're a more philosophical thinker, you might be <laughs> more willing to forgive the film's uh, confusing direction. All right, what else you got? That's it? No comments on that one? Um, I, I, It's hard. I mean, I don't want to get stuck up on any one topic. Yes. Because this is the sort of thing where, like, 
I don't necessarily want to approach this film by breaking down like the individual parts particularly because I think that's not as interesting and has has been done to death right it's like what can we what is you and me you and I talking about 2001 right now and it's just gonna be all feeling man that's what, what okay. it's gonna be I'm, so, I'm tempted to do this pod every year we'll see what happens but I feel like maybe every should. 26 pods 26 yeah. apps we'll do it again yes maybe but yeah Fourth reason, if you want to see one of the best movies of all time. As I said in the intro, I'm kind of surprised, but this film received mixed reception at the start from critics, but then was accepted by the masses. Apparently, drug-consuming culture was part of it, because people are like, oh, you're going to take acid and then go watch 2001. But yeah, apparently the original edit was longer as well, so he cut back like 20 minutes, which I'm going to guess was a good move. Yeah, anyway. So, interesting about the edit. Does that mean that edit's in circulation? I'm sure it's on a Blu-ray somewhere, but... He said that he burnt uh, footage that wasn't in it. Um, and that's a famous part of the story, that he destroyed a lot of the props and the sets and stuff from this film, so no one could imitate him. Um, they still did, though. <laughs> and, yeah, so... But then they found the film in a salt mine in 2010 or something, like leftover footage. Wow. Um, they do store stuff in salt mines, so that's the explanation. But, like, because they're dry and they're a good place to store film. It's not like they found it in a, um, I don't know, like a sriracha factory or something like that. It's not just completely um, arbitrary. <laughs> I thought that was going. <laughs> um, uh, are you through your reasons? Cause one last one. And one I, think it's, one. I think it's an important one. I think if you like set design, specifically retrofuturism, good reason to watch this movie. The, okay. the style of this film is good, which I'll, I'll lead into one bit of trivia. So apparently at the time this film was made, Kubrick, approach, uh, uh, Kubrick approached um, 40 of the biggest corporations and asked them to design products that they thought would exist 30 years into the future. And this is according to um, Dave Bowman, the character's actor. Um, so that's why we get brands that are famous in the film. and. Yeah, so there's a chance that the design trends that they incorporated into this future look were designs that they were going to incorporate into their own designs. Um, and apparently there were like heaps and heaps of props that he got made but didn't even make the cut, which is pretty interesting. So I'm in, with the critic point, what, do you, did you look into like what critics' problems were? Like I think, I'm guessing like the lack of coherent narrative and or whatever. Yes. And the slow pace of the film. Yeah, pretty much. Kubrick said in interviews that this film is deliberately open-ended and it's deliberately supposed to be a visual experience. So um, 40 minutes, only f- less than 40 minutes of the film has dialogue, which was quite a fascinating fact to see actualized. And then the other thing that follows that is the last dialogue in the film. Can you guess where it happens and what it is? I do know what it is because it, it's when... It's the um, pre-recorded message from the home base. Yes. Um, which I'm the, guessing the is quote like is, It's origin and purpose, still a total mystery. Uh, I can't tell you the specific time, but yes, it is when he's shutting down hell. So it means there's at least 20 minutes plus of visuals just going ham on the screen in between that and the ending. Pretty epic. Yeah. Okay. I, are you ready? Do you want to talk about yourself and like why this is your favorite film? Yeah, because, absolutely. Yeah, like I was saying before, it's not necessarily in the, uh, yeah, what is it? 
Because um, I want to talk about like what this made me feel watching it, and I obviously we'll get to that after that. So yeah, yeah. go for it. So just like writing notes for this, I was ruminating on the film and my relationship to the film, and I suppose one thing that particularly stood out to me is that this movie just feels bigger than everything else, and it, it doesn't feel like a person made this movie. It feels like uh, an entity and a an era and a like a an idea made this film. Um, I think that it just it just feels like, as I said in the the reasons why you'd like this, it is just like a very uh, it just feels a a vintage way. It feels like when you because you know when you're like you go to like everything we consume is a minutia of a minutia sort of thing where everything's a reference and particularly in this era where it's quite exhausting where you're like oh um i gotta hear about how good um jurassic park is in god knows what or back to the future like oh let's reference back to the future this is like the movie this is a movie that just exists above film like it doesn't feel like it's contributing to the film discourse actively it just is and even reading, I've been reading uh, essays about romantic comedies from the 1940s, 30s and 50s and 60s and 70s and so on. And it's just like when people wrote those sort of stories, it seemed like they had an agenda and a perspective. This film manages to sort of subvert and um, ascend past personal tastes and preferences to feel like an important thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So add to that the incredibly well crafted filmmaking which goes into this and i suppose ultimately what it is is it's just extremely emotive filmmaking it makes you feel ways and it's ways that other films don't make you feel or maybe they do make you feel at bits but it's it's very much a concept movie about making you um experience emotions that other things aren't willing to commit to in such a, a meditative um you know, it just, it zags where everything else zigs, Yeah, That seems to be one of the catchphrases of this show. <laughs> Zagging and zigging? Yeah. Um, yeah. How's that speech? I, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I, get, I just, my question though is why you? Why this film and why you? Um, what does this do to you that makes you want to be a filmmaker? Or, you know, does it not even do that? Is it beyond filmmaking? Well, it's just like, it feels, the world create. it just combines a lot of really interesting, like things that you like, and it even combines high concept things that you like with artistic tastes you have. Um, it's going, let's go to space, which first of all is interesting as. It's going, let's look at what a space world might look like, and then it's showing you all this production design, which is really cool. And then it's going, by the way, here's some fantastic cinematography that is going to show you things you haven't seen before and create lasting images in your head and also assist in telling the story. Um, the sound design, like that was one of the things that stood out on this watch. It's just really uh, evocative and creative. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just, like, I, how, do, how do I describe this? Because it's not like a film where I can go, I really align with the, the writing styles. I, I want to write like that. Or uh, these characters basically think the way that I do. So it's just me aligning with a film and a perspective and stuff like that. I guess it's me aligning with the filmmaking tools. Like this film is just so well made and it takes you someplace else, someplace else and it's just so unique. I think yeah, I don't know. Is that a good enough answer yet? 
Are we there yet? I think what you touched on, I think what you touched on that I understand is the fact that it's emotive. It's just like the most emotive thing you've ever seen and has avoided every convention or it doesn't use anything that everything else you've seen uses to convey emotion. Mm. (laughs) It's singular in its emotion. And I just think it's completely unrivaled. Or not even unrivaled, but there's just nothing like it, you know? Mm-hmm. There's nothing... I think you could, you could make arguments at Spectacle there's something like that. Or, you know, there's other space films and there's other senses of adventure and there's other senses of, you know, existential films, films about existence. But there's something about the way this t- talks to you as an audience member. I just haven't... I've not seen anything like it or at least there's nothing I don't think there's anything like it yes that that's that's what I think it is <laughs> for you and for me yeah. <laughs> sure and yeah I probably should just reiterate that it is just like it is the filmmaking as well it's just such an impressive film that it's a pleasure to watch and you get rewarded like there's no sense of digging deeper and then seeing the seams you know you don't get disappointed by this yeah. film at all which is and, really okay cool. and so we need to, to say that we watched it at IMAX as well, which yes. was huge. Very exciting. It adds, adds a number of different things to the experience. One, it's just, you know, is incredible to see it on such a big screen because like you were saying, there's no, you can talk about when you talk about when you saw Lord of the Rings, <clears throat> the first one, and like you can see the, the parts of the, uh, the CGI is lacking a little bit. Mm, it's um, dated, yeah. And obviously this is all practical. So it's like, there is nothing that it either blown worked up. then or it didn't sort of, you know. Yeah, there's there's no hiding, and so everything that is blown up in front of you is something that like happened physically, mm. pretty much. So there's nothing. Yeah, there's no seams to pick, and to like be unimmersed or taken out having, of the. Having said that, the charm of retrofuturism probably means that you would have been willing to overlook certain things going wrong. But I suppose that's why this film gets its legacy status because, you know, part of the experience of watching 2001 is going like, this doesn't deserve to be this good. Like, how did, yeah. how is everything else I've watched in the 60s supposed to stand up to this? It just doesn't, you know? It doesn't look like... The, it doesn't feel so compellingly modern. Um, yeah. And then in terms of um, narrative, like, the whole genius of it is that by not project... By not making the characters speak, the audience projects their own current viewing and politics and morals and stuff onto what's yeah. going on and this is a f- and that's the thing about, that i think it's allowed it to age so well because i can see the narrative about what this film means changing over time mm. i can definitely see you know i'm going to compare this to interstellar obviously because we also watch that at imax and it's another space film and it's sort of like the other space film like i'm just like was thinking well, before like are there there's obviously stuff in the middle that we've maybe haven't connected with but it is it seems like a film that is directly homage in 2001 and it's also a film that has sort of at least entered our generation's consciousness as like the other space film you know yeah but they're just so different they're just so different and when we watched the i hadn't i've obviously seen 2001 before but i hadn't it's been it had been a long time since when we did the interstellar one but i did remember that um, I, I made comments about it being like a lot colder, whereas Interstellar's like trying to like put humans in space and put feelings in space. Mm. And Interstellar is not, uh, not Interstellar. Two thousand one is not interested about putting 
feelings in space whatsoever. And I think what really stood out to me watching it this time is, I'm going to say it again about how emotive this film is. Like, it's, it's crazy the emotions that you are feeling sitting there in the audience looking at just visual imagery and sound and no one's talking. And when they're talking, they're talking very reserved, not getting worked up, you know. And it, it just blows my mind. And because the flaws in Interstellar, like parts where it, la- it stuffs up, not stuffs up, but, you know, it's unconvincing or something like that with emotion. Behind, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's so weird. It's just unbelievable. I don't- <laughs> Go on that for a second. Yeah, I just think it's this whole don't, they don't say too much. They don't overstay their welcome. They do a, a great job of not putting signposts in for things that might date. Um, what's funny is they talk about, there's a few brands that aren't as significant now, but that's almost like an interesting tidbit now. The fact that IBM is there and IBM so present is, I was just thinking that that's only changed recently where IBM wasn't IBM. So, because today you can kind of project this funny thing where you go, oh, that'd probably be Google or um, SpaceX or something like that. So, mm-hmm. um, it just managed, but I guess because it is a philosophical film, it um, manages to engage uh, overarching questions rather than hyper-specific questions. And then you do project your hyper-specific questions onto it. And what's the comparison is maybe another... I guess maybe, let's go with this. What stance do you think Kubrick has taken? And I don't mean what does it all mean. I mean, what sort of morals and values do you think this film is perpetuating? Because that's a vital part of any filmmaking. I think that the one that you can actually, that the, the film is actually saying and the structure of the film is actually saying is to do with, I mean, and it's in the title in like, that it's like a space odyssey. Like it's about human invention and human um, exploration and ingenuity and just what we can accomplish, right? Um, but I think even within that storyline, there are, entirely different ways of looking at it you know the film is very like dark and and kind of bleak and you can like i can definitely see someone like reading this reading this film in like an overly like i don't know masculine's the right word but like kind of like you know man's meant to explore man is man conquers man does this this competitive sort of idea of it and at the same time, you can watch this and be like, this film is a warning about people thinking that they can conquer all elements and we can go too far. And, you know, there's so much we don't understand. So, I mean, I think that idea, either whichever way Kubrick actually went with it, is, I think, up to the, the viewer. But I think that's something that's solidly in it. And that's probably one of the only things I can put my finger on. And, you know, there's that paranoia maybe about computers and technology. But I don't even believe that's not what i see and and like you know living now it's like someone could watch this and go like wow kubrick was right look at what's happened with us and technology and how evil they really are but also you can watch that and like i don't actually feel that way watching this mm-hmm. so i i don't know i don't have like I, I don't can't put my finger on the morals like i completely project how i feel onto this film and i'm aware of that i think yeah. is what i'm trying to say yeah, well, one interesting view in, oh, one interesting thing that I saw come up in my research was that people have described as both pessimistic and optimistic. Um, and just thinking on that and your comments is that, do you think, not, this is more rhetorical, it's, it's do you 
think that it was good or bad. And you can argue that, I guess because the objective isn't set in stone, that you can argue that either way, you know. They never, even the main character's objective is to get to Jupiter, but there's no, well, even then, who's the main character? I guess it is. It it does feel like it's Dave, but whatever. Because he does the most stuff. He does the most decisions and stuff. Um, Has the most personality, ultimately. But the objective isn't defined, so he doesn't succeed or fail. So you can also perceive the ending as some, like failing and not communicating with the humans, not understanding what's going on, and maybe just not being able to contextualize his own whatever the heck he just went through. Or you can see it as a mm. success because uh, he becomes a freaking giant baby floating back to Earth with all of the wisdom <laughs> of the world. Um, well, you can look at it this way. Like, uh, the decision in the... F- in the first place to have all that happen with Hal and then go to Jupiter in itself is telling you something because it's, it's not like versus it's, it's taking the, the risk without the safety net or something like that, or like some higher purpose to be serving. It's like a decision. Like, and I think that's probably commenting on, Oh, well, I don't know. What do you think of that? No, that's like, I think what you said about him, not, you can't tell whether he won, like won or lost. I think is a good point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I guess I hadn't really realized it was related to the lack of narrative objection as a as a a thing as a meta thing um, within the story. The way that it kind of just takes you into these episodes is very unique and interesting because um, you don't really get a grasp on what you're looking for, so it, it changes. One thing I couldn't remember uh, was whether we knew it was an alien thing found on space, uh, on the moon or whatever. If mm. I'm being completely honest, uh, a reading that I had seen ages ago is that the mono and I, you know it's not like a genius reading, so I'm not I don't feel like an idiot for perpetuating it. But you know the monolith appears every time there's a leap forward, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think they literally find a monolith on earth but then there are theories that and there was a you know i made this reading as well and then disagree with it it, that the monolith is actually there that the aliens are intervening in human life to progress them or something like that um Mm -hmm. i feel like they you know it doesn't the black monolith isn't actually there even when they're on space they don't actually find a monolith they just find some kind of tech that they're not showing because it's not about the tech it's about the idea of the tech you know what i mean yeah um i think the boring part of the and this is not a dig uh, i think that like you've probably read more about this than i have i feel like the boring part of this discussion is kind of like not what we're doing but i just like what does the ending mean and the thing that is different from me watching this now versus however many years i watch it now is that i am so less interested in whatever it means like I had I had zero inclination to go home and to Google what does the ending of 2001 mean. Yeah, that's mean. actually true. Instead, I wanted to look up quotes that Hal said so I can use them in real life. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you apply any of those today at work? Not yet, but I, what was the one I was saying last night in the car? Like, this conversation oh, yeah, wh- serves no future purpose. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Something like anyway, that. Anyway, um, and I don't know. Like, this was a truly... People, I don't know. When people talk about like movie experiences in cinemas and like, you know, the big ones, like, I feel like that was, I had this, like, 
I just watched it. I just yeah, it was it was nuts. I don't know yeah. if you were there with me. <laughs> I knew it was I knew it was crucial that you saw it on a big screen because the first time I saw this was on a big screen. Um, it was in a projector in a uh, like a uni theater, so it was on a like a you know a wall rather than on a theater screen. So I knew, and then I next watched it on a TV, and then we watched it on TV together that time, and I was like, oh, it's cool. Um, there's a thing about sitting in the dark looking at a giant screen, and um, even the IMAX experience part of this is I was I was thinking to myself where I was sitting because I was slightly to the right in the middle but largely centered. And then I was look I could feel my head turn in to look at the different parts of the frame. Mm. And then yeah, I was going It's always fun. Imagine if you sat on one of those sides, are you more focused on the right side of the frame than the people on the left side would be because it's like an effort and stuff like that? Or would your mind be doing the opposite sort of thing? Um But yeah, so seeing this on a big screen is definitely an element of the experience. And I suppose what is really cool and has stood out to me about this film is that it doesn't, because it's so, uh, like, you're not waiting for beats in the same way that you are in a normal film. And watching this film is, is coming back to it with a different toolkit to unpack and experience and stuff like that. It's not like you go in, like, you're not looking for clues in the narrative. You're looking for meaning and affect in the <laughs> presentation of it do you know what i mean yeah i think it's a freeing experience watching this um and i we're, we're obviously going to talk about this but our screening had an intermission in the middle which was an interesting thing and i'm sure was meant to reflect the way it was actually shown back in the day and you know you said you liked it i didn't like it for the reason that i was very much lost in time and space if oh, you will okay when the film was on and you know this film is not that long in the scheme of things avengers is longer than this film 20. you know yeah. like oh you know there's two hours 20 is nothing king kong oh, oh, no king kong wasn't but you know yeah uh two hours 20 is a reasonable length for a movie i would watch a drama that's two hours 20 you know for an epic though i feel like you want it that's you want sure. it to be important if it's two hours 20 and but this is a long two hours 20 I don't know if you feel that way, but yeah, for and that's, sure. that happens to when I watch things and I'm like actually truly interested in what's going on in front of me, it feels like a long ass time when you're watching them. You know what I mean? This felt longer to me than none. I was going to say the just sleep, but that's going overboard. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't. Um, but anyway, it just felt like a really, really long time. So by the time I went to intermission, I was like, what the fuck? You know, I feel like I've been here for three hours, which all sounds like negative, but it's actually not because I know that means that I'm hanging on every frame and every beat and every shot yeah which is really cool yeah. and I, i'm you know i, I another like relating it to another experience was like me watching was like watching um i'm thinking of ending things not because i think that's as good as this film but i remember that being a similar experience where it felt like a really 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 long time watching that film because there's so much dialogue and so much that i was yeah. like hanging on but it's interesting you compare the two one's yeah, a visual film like and one is a dialogue heavy film of each other or whatever you'd say um, exactly. The fact that one is going, hang on every word. This one, the other one's going, hang on every visual. But isn't that funny that I could watch a visual film and it feel like every minute was an hour or whatever? And every I minute don't know. mattered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like I was saying, is that it, it definitely did kind of the I, like I didn't want to go to the bathroom and hear people talk about how the film was going and what do you think? Do you know what I mean? I just wanted to like get yeah. through it all in one sitting. And even after the film, it's like I know this is stupid to say because we're doing a podcast and talking about it but <laughs> i just didn't want to talk about the things that i knew that you the film 
makes you want to talk about. Like, I just want to like talk about the feeling about, yes. about the way that, you know, some of the, the cin- cinematography and like I, something about the curves, right? Everything being circular plays with your perspective of scenes so much that you, your depth perception in any given scene isn't entirely reliable. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying with that? No, I like that. And something about seeing on the big screen just made that experience like really, really strange. And I don't know how to articulate this feeling, but it's like when you look at like a, <laughs> I'm going to sound so wanky, but it's like when you go to like look at a really good painting and it's playing with that sort of things, with mm-hmm. those sorts of things. And you can feel a three-dimensional element to it, but also like the two-dimensional element of it is like very apparent to you it's at the, the same time. It's like unique as well. Yeah. So, I don't know. I just went on a whole rant, but. No, that's um, good. Intermission. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll skip. I don't know. The intermission bit for me is I just think intermissions are dated and it really, sh- like, I, I like, actually like the idea of them because I don't mind the idea of breaking and just going to the toilet and stuff. You know, I guess I'm not supposed to say that, I'm not supposed to feel that way, but whatever. I don't care. I agree when we, like, watched Justice League and I was like, I can't be asked. you know, like, getting to go to the bathroom and... Well, I just like the idea that instead of like getting that third quarter anxiety, you have two halves and you're less tense because yeah. the, the third quarter anxiety is a real deal where it's like, oh, I need to go to the toilet. Oh, I need to eat. Oh, when's this film going to end? I don't mind the mm. idea of them of a film going, here's the halfway mark. I just, I, because I, I, I understand that time is a weird one in film because it's sort of something you want to ignore, but you can't ignore and stuff. Um, yeah. So, and then I think it's completely sit-in based where it's like, sometimes you can just completely throw yourself into something. Sometimes you can have a very aware, it's got, it's got to do with what's going on with your life, sort of how, how time is affecting you. Um, but yeah, intermission, I like the idea of it. I don't think it was presented particularly well here because they didn't clarify. And they, it was tense and they should because have put, you didn't know when it was coming back. And exactly. they should have played. The you soundtrack know, or something, yeah. The or soundtrack, because they played, they literally played like the soundtrack, yeah, for like a Transformers video game or something like yeah. that. And it was just not a not on. fun vibe. Um, not on. The intermission for this film is placed at a strange moment as well. I suppose it is the the halfway mark or whatever. Um, it's but before, just before, it happened before, oh, sorry, before Hal... Got rid of the other dude. Yeah, that's right. His name's it, Frank, it, it, I think. Yeah. yeah, it was just after the scene where Hell's look, reading their lips. Yeah, mm-hmm. and but then it only takes like five minutes, and he's already killed the dude. And it's it's just strange because that is probably the most narrative you get, and then it just feels misplaced to go. Here's a bit of plot, and then you know, pausing it in the middle of the plot. It would make sense if the the movie ended with him stopping Hell. But because he doesn't, mm. it's sort of this weird kind of, okay, denouement for 40 minutes of the second half of the intermission thing, yeah. you know. Anyway, it's not a real complaint. I'm not, I just thought it was funny. Um, but in terms of talking about it, yes, that is 100% a thing. It's a really hard film to articulate because you want to feel like you have something meaningful to say, but it's full of, it's a very, you watch it in a community, you watch it in a group, and you want to because it, it would hit so much harder in a group. But it doesn't hit in a group as though you go, oh, what did you think of this? It hits in a group because it's like, wow, did we just feel that? Like, you just get taken to this relaxed space and admiration thing. But, yeah, so I don't, even like coming on this podcast, as you've said, it's been a conscious decision of what kind of discussion we want to have about this. 
and there are the cliched discussions or there's like the emotive effective discussion which is um probably where we can add value or you know not value because you have to value our opinions but that's where the um you know that's just where people come in and people are the thing that makes movies important as well i did i do want to talk about a few technical things though um and then i do want to touch on a few plot things and like choices but i guess we can do it broader um i want to talk about the editing just briefly i think the editing's really cool um they do some there's a sense of the vintage in this film um but you can see why it was so effective in the first place things like jump cuts when the the pod is going towards frank it is frank right i don't want to be the complete idiot that called the guy the wrong thing it is frank i'm not an idiot so when the uh, shuttle is going towards Frank and they jump cut in on Hell's mm. just like glowing red eye. It's just a simple thing, but because the film has established this feeling and distance the whole time, it, it works really powerfully. Um, and the other cut, which is ma- like, I would be all dramatic and say it's one of the best cuts ever is, and I don't even know, like, I don't know why, but I'm inclined to say that either, either to be pretentious, but I just think it's so just good. Go for it. Is when... The monkey man is hitting the the bones, and then it jump cuts oh, to him man. hitting the yeah. tapir, and it's just extremely affecting, and it just says a lot in two frames or whatever. Like just the way that you go riff on it. Okay, I feel like you said a few things that have confused me, uh, distracted me. Uh, I think okay, the first jump cut I think is funny. It, it's the I, I actually I like. I mean, I don't dislike it. It's fine. It's definitely the only part of the film that is like movie ish. Okay. Well, if you think about that, right, I, it's funny to me because I, I, like, I like it because it's not a face and you're not doing that on someone's face reacting. It's the still dead light thing. But the rest of the film, he spends the time just looking at that red light and it's not moving and it, like, it's the slightest going in, you know, kind of glowing in and out. Yeah. And that so has so much more tension it. and effect than like, you know, you don't actually, yeah. So I just think that's kind of funny, a yeah. funny choice, you know. It is, it's like um, the most coded moment, but then I suppose that's why he, it works because it's rare. Um, yeah. It's just a memorable thing. And yeah, so with the, the cut from the monkey, that's obviously awesome. Into hitting the That tapir. scene. The monk, yeah. What do you want to say about the monkey stuff? <laughs> because I, I, just one thing that jumped to my head is that the rest of the film is playing with um, space as a backdrop. Uh-huh. Like, there's no scene, like scenery beyond the stuff with the monkey. Mm-hmm. And as I was watching those monkeys, uh, monkey or ape, I don't know which one it is, but as we were watching the ape stuff, I just, the blue, something about the blue was really like affecting, I think. And like, it, it, it I think there's something to be said about putting that in just backdrop visually wise compared to the rest of the thing being in space. I think you get a little bit of blue, like just the color palette of the film or whatever. You also get a little bit when he's like maybe still traveling up to the station and like when he's doing the phone call with his daughter, there's like kind of that blue spinning earth in the background, which is really cool. I guess I don't really have a point. I just think that the blues no, I think and the way that those were shot. something. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of natural, whereas everything else is very unnatural, and everything's very white and clinical. So I suppose what you said about the space is something that stands out. Where these are monkeys on Earth, they've got space, they can move around, and the end is like this. Everything you see is endless, but then it's kind of building on that by being like because these monkeys 
have such a small scope of life. I think that's a very deliberate thing where there's the watering hole and then there's the other side of the hill pretty much. Um, and they feel so small against this savannah. I think that is, you know, it serves as a great reference point to space where the space instead of the savannah is so big and so unexplored and so who knows what's around the corner, but in a completely different way. It's like empty rather than like, mm. you do, do you know what I mean? In the savannah, it's, you've got your group right, and you've got it's these It's like spaces. a large, well, it's like a lot. It's a large emptiness versus a large kind of yeah. There's stuff boundless. There's, there's like houses, spaces, and oh, boundless no, in houses. the same there's way. There's trees <laughs> and there's monkeys and stuff. There is stuff yeah. that exists there, and it's the unknown, but it's it's physical. Whereas space is like, is there anything mm. actually out there? Mm. Yeah. So the monkey stuff, I think it's it's really cool. I think. Look, I guess if I had any criticism of this film, it's. But it is such a fickle, fickle slope. It's like you could tighten it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but then I think it kind of works because it's such a mislead. Like, I love the mislead element of it. And it's like, it's a prologue. It's like a little, it's like a featurette that plays before a movie to put you into a headspace, right? Yeah. And that's how I was trying to explain this to who we were watching with because I was like, you know, you got to think non-literally. You got to think, what do you think the director's trying to make you think? Uh, like, how do you feel? And then try and think why you feel that way. That's sort of the the book the booklet on how to watch this film. Um, the thing is, I just think it's fun to watch as well. Mm-hmm. I think that it's like you. Do, it, it was almost meant to be that thing, like you walk into an enclosure, and the whole thing film is about patience, you know. Mm-hmm. And you say it could be tighter, and I do agree it could be tighter, but it's also not tighter, and that's the way the film is. Yeah, and it's not like it's the whole identity. This is, yeah. It's not like this is dragging compared to the rest of the film. It's like you think you're seeing a space movie. So that's probably the only reason you're thinking about that versus like any other procedural scene, procedural scene in the film in space that takes twice as long as three times as long as any other filmmaker would make any of those given scenes take, you know? So yeah. it's completely in character. Um, I just think that it does make a lot of, it does make it hit harder at the same time. As when he first picks up the bone and he's whacking the the, skull, the skeleton, something about that scene, I was just like, "Wow, this is like beautiful." Like, what it is- seems so <laughs> genius, doesn't it? Um, I think I think it's just projecting onto it, like thematically, it's just so it's so cutting about humans because obviously it's kind of mean and it's kind of pretentious to go humans were apes once, but then the way that it's done is so smart, like. I think it because it is a slow burn and because there's nothing proje- like there's not many cues p- projected onto it that it's kind of you just watching this thing and thinking how you want to think. Hmm. But that moment where he hits it, like there's this great moment of like, do I do do we like this monkey? Are we sorry for these monkeys <laughs> who got kicked out of the monkey community? Um, yeah. And then they quickly just become these freaking savages. Um, obviously, that's a fight. Well, because I guess they are victims. They get attacked by the leopard or the hmm. yeah the leopard. Which was real, of course. The trivia for that is that there was a guy in the suit who was going to get attacked and he was practicing wrestling with the, the leopard. And then on the day, Kubrick was sitting in a cage directing while there were, everyone else was on set just regularly and the leopard jumped out of the hill and it got, it's, it got caught on someone else, but then it came back to the guy who was actually fighting it. So real danger in that one. Um, you can feel it. You can f- you could look at the eyes of the <laughs> so the <laughs> eyes creature. thing you know about the eyes thing right no not really you don't know about the eyes thing um so this film 
was obviously pioneering in special effects. Um, the significant effect that people talk about the most is like rear projection, which is where mm-hmm. you put uh, yep. a mirror in front of the camera on an angle, on like a 45 degree angle or a window. It's like, oh, I think it's reverse mirror, two way mirror or something. So you can see through it, but they can't see back. Um, mm-hmm. And if you do it at the right angle, it will project onto the background, which is highly reflective material without interfering your frame. And the advantage to this rear, uh, I think it's front, I think it's rear projection. I can't remember if it's rear or front projection, but it comes from the front. And the advantage is that you don't get shadows behind things because it's going, it's coming from the camera's perspective. So it'll never like be offset with the camera. So you'll never have shadows of the projection, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, so the glow in their eyes is the projector hitting their eyes, but it doesn't happen with the human eye. So that's why the Jaguar has this thing. I mean, the leopard, leopard, but it was yeah, apparently, cool, though. and of course, a deliberate choice to show the effect because it's kind of emotive. Yeah. It's kind of going, everything's dangerous out here, um, a bit mysterious. But yeah, so mm-hmm. it, it is an interesting um, episode because it's um, emotive and oh, not everything's motive um it's it wants you to feel sorry for these monkeys a little bit but then it doesn't and so the fantastic thing and i'm sure you know it's part of understanding the scene is the monkeys standing up when they've got the bone rather than Mm -hmm. the other monkeys who are like crouched over and then Mm -hmm. yeah there's just something real powerful about like having the the order overturned so dramatically the audience not understanding who we're supposed to feel for and kind of going, oh, my God, these monkeys have too much power, <laughs> you know? It's just a really cool thing. It's, fu- well, it's funny because that narrative about human evolution and it leads into this idea that we have earned our places and, like, and our existence becomes from this place of being special. Like we've, I think you were kind of saying this before, like we've risen above the apes and we are human beings and therefore we must continue to evolve and conquer. Mm. And I think that is the theme of the film that, like I was saying before, it goes either way in it. So if anyone else put that in a film, if this film had any sort of kind of anchoring, I wouldn't like that message, I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It would annoy me and I would think it was pretentious bullshit and like, you know, the classic narrative that leads to destruction of, of countries and people's lives and stuff mm. like that, you know? Yeah. But it's more, it's more observational than that. It's not assigning it a win or a loss, which we've, dance around but i think that's just the key point because right down to the fact that both monkeys are the same mm-hmm. so they're neighboring tribes and it's not about one of them had a talent the other one did the other one found an opportunity and stumbled into an accident and i think that is a um a key part of it this idea that occurrences just happen they don't have this eth- ethical and moral projection onto them they just happen as much as we like pretend they do yeah yeah and then there's like this weird like emotive thing going on where he's they're eating like the tapirs next to alive tapirs and before they used to cooperate like they were eating vegetation next to each other and now they're killing each other and then you go ah oh, this is the catalyst that's going to set off humanity and stuff like that um, and I think it does a good thing of going ah oh, everyone like you know like humans are going to be savage but it's like just the way that they're going to evolve sort of thing. I, I like it. It does set in course that whole human, like cut contrasted by the rest of the scene is really interesting. Um, uh, the rest of the film, because 
that's the only time you're kind of going like a bit more anti-human. Um, I don't know. Sorry, that's a bit of a rant, but I'm ready to move on if you are. <laughs> yeah, I just think we just accept that we'll do another episode. We'll do it in 26 weeks. <laughs> yes. Okay, so one thing Get through that everything you want to get through reading like on well, your notes. Okay, my notes. The other thing is cinematography, but like I don't have specific things to say. A few words I wanted to highlight were scale, color, and isolation. Um, I think that the, and this goes into production design, but they just show you these awesome scenes and they just look good because there's hard lines and soft lines and colors and bright white light, which is obviously always aesthetic and appealing. Um, and yeah, so then the, the controlledness is good. It's, it's very observational. You know how when you watch a Fincher film and you know you're watching a film, even though it's very like set on sticks and very uh, control, you know, it, it has this, you know, it's not handheld. So you go, oh, it's just watching. But no, this film completely mm-hmm. watches and you don't feel like you're watching a movie. And the close up isn't used a lot, I guess. I hadn't really thought about it, but the close up isn't used a lot. I mean, there's definitely close ups of his face. You know, when he's in the pod and everything like that. They're relatively contextual, scenes, though. They're, they're like the person in the background. It's the, I think he uses wide lenses because mm-hmm. the people... Like, one scene particularly shot particularly stands out where they're landing the ship in the bigger ship and the woman's mm-hmm. there who is the flight attendant and she's come up and said hello to the pilots. The The shot is extremely wide like you can see the edge of you can see two people's seats at the distinct edges of the frame and like even in some of the wide lens stuff you even get like a bit of distortion on the edges where it's getting rounder um they probably played into that though with like i was saying before like everything's designed like round and circular you know it's it's like a chic modern sort of thing isn't it but yeah scale is another one that's just really well done in this film you just really get a sense of humans against other stuff and even the sense of humans against the spaceship and that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I think the wide framing is really powerful in conveying isolation. Um, I think it's very niche to go, not niche, it's very current to go wide close. So like go wide, wide lens and then go close. But this film doesn't really do that that often. So it really is just wide and then it's just people in these big spaces and then it makes you feel like How they're alone. The way that... How about the way the meeting scene, so in Act 2 or Vignette 2, that meeting scene, what do you, like, I, I remember the camera work in that was really apparent to me in that it's set in the center of the, the room, looks really good. It's actually not the most interesting scene ever, design-wise, and when someone gets up from their chair, it follows them to, like, walk around that little bit corner and then follows them back to the center of the room. Yeah. And it does that kind of, like, pretty much every time someone gets up. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That was just kind of amazing to me, I think. Yeah. So I want to talk about that because that is something that stood out to me on this watch that hadn't before, which was I think a key theme is um, like bureaucracy and the handling of information and power. The monkeys discover the monolith together and the use of the bone is democratized and everyone uses the bone and they become the tribe that uses the bone. Whereas in this film... Like, I'm trying to understand what the second act is all about. And I think it's about, hand, like, power and management of power and bureaucracy because it's very deliberate. Like, they stay on this conversation between this foreign mm-hmm. guy and Floyd 
for a really long time and it's not like what the functions of it are kind of setting up narrative tension and drama because he knows something that we don't know and the other guy doesn't know but otherwise it's really about like politics of discussion um and then you go into this thing it's politics of innovation right politics of discovery and i think that's really interesting what you just said comparing that to the monkey i'll let you finish your point now but yeah oh i just think that that is an important part of this thing where it's about kind of like the bad side of humanity and the bad side of um knowledge and power because on the ship it's it's quite notable that dave doesn't know why and everyone else on board doesn't know why they're going to jupiter but he gets that information right at the end and yeah the yeah the robot knows um and the robot is sort of like this weird you know there's metaphors about um controlling people and um but even just the idea that the message doesn't play uh, they're not supposed to get to the end and then this dude gets ascension um i know there's like a, a jealousy power bureaucracy thing going on in there mm. maybe it's you know reminiscent of like the atomic bomb and stuff like that because i know that that significantly affected filmmaking for years and years later there's definitely a thing where they're on the precipice and even the backslapping and uh the photo the bit where they're taking a photo in front of the monolith it it seems like a warning about being too uh touristy or whatever yeah and too self-complimentary and too humans have figured Mm. it out i think that's sort of the big one like the film is condemning this idea that you can never figure it out because there's always something bigger than you saying higher and yeah is there some sort of discussion about how like is hell broken or is hell not broken i don't know i think it's just just let me say it's like a freaking such a genius idea like i love it every time i see it it's just like the drama of the film is so specific it's so awesome because even when you watch it and they're just like like you're i feel like when you watch it you're not even concerned you're like so what a spaceship made a mistake and they're like no but the implications and like the whole fact that the whole (laughs) drama is built around implications is really really cool um and i think maybe you know that ties into the um the power and the bureaucracy thing where pal uh, pal if (laughs) hell has too much power over these people but i also feel like there's a thing going on where the space station uh, the the humans back on Earth that they're communicating with have an agenda against Hal as well. Like, mm. there's definitely some weird thing going on where they're playing Hal by like supporting Hal and putting Hal in the ship and whatever. But then there's also this thing where they quickly turn on the machine Isn't and this then about, their bonding is well, humans and stuff like that. Is, exactly. Well, d- does this not play back into the whole like tools and tools being the thing that pushes us along, but this human arrogance that we like are entitled and the mm. discovery is our discovery. Yeah, maybe that's what that's about. Mm. What else have you got to say on the thi- on your notes? Because I don't want to, yeah, cut you off before that you finish. Uh, sound design. I really, really want to praise the sound design in this film. I think it's so good. It's got, it's just a sound. It's a it's a sound mix that would never exist again, namely because it has so much silence. The closest we got was Interstellar, and what that had two bits of silence. Where this film has like eight bits of silence, nine, ten, eleven, whatever. Breathing. Big win for breathing. Breathing is huge. Like that's so okay. So one thing I I want to talk about because I think I click I think I latched onto something. The film's rhythm. The film has a very distinct rhythm. Um and this 
it spans across all of the different um, tools in the filmmaking toolkit. It has a narrative rhythm. It has a sound rhythm. It has a visual rhythm, like an editing rhythm, and it has a cinematography rhythm. Everything is all about lulling you into this state where things are happening consistently and at this, it's a slower pace than what you're used to. So it really is going, come down to our BPM, relax, relax, relax. And then it's like taking you along. And then the film will do these like rapid, like jump ups to tension and stress and stuff like that. And they are really evocative because they like lull you into this hypnotized state. Um, I really think I've latched onto something here. I can't articulate it completely, but the sound is a huge part of the rhythm. The, there is breathing going on for extensive parts in this film because, of course, like on to me, it completely is kind of not obvious. It's like it completely narratively serves when um, Dave is walking through the ship with the helmet on and he's breathing, and Hell's talking to him. That is a dramatic use of the rhythm. But then mm-hmm. when he's when they're installing when they're fixing the machine. Uh, the satellite and stuff and when they're going yeah. out there's breathing going on and it's like what's going on here with the breathing because it's not like there's drama surrounding the breathing like the breathing is more about creating a mood and it's about creating a rhythm it's kind of about the monotony and also mm-hmm. the um the kind of the world it's world building because it's like you know this is what it sounds like there's nothing out here but i guess it's the isolation that's coming with space um but yeah the film is really trying to lull you into like this meditative state and then things that disrupt this come in sound often. So the alarms are really notable in this film. They really cut your ears and really pierce. And like, so just think of when he's pressed, because even when he's pressing the, the trigger that will launch him out of the back of the ship, there's like mm-hmm. breathing going on. And then there's like a rhythm going on where it's like, bip, bip, bip. And then he presses launch. It's like, burr, burr. like it's even more intense. I think part of the reason this film really hits you hard is its use of rhythm. And I definitely yeah. did have, I felt that sort of way. And uh, you have different rhythms. <laughs> I mean, I'll just keep on this rhythm talk. You've got breathing giving, being one rhythm. And then because there's nothing else going on in the soundscape, you've got another rhythm that comes in being an alarm that's got a different tempo mm. and is suddenly offsetting the tempo that you're set into. And then he presses another button. And it, there's not enough for it to be chaotic. It's not chaotic rhythm, but there's just three different, distinct rhythms going on at one point in time that are not in sync with one another. And I find like you're listening to it and you, you're kind of listening for them to sync up. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, you're, you're, yeah. you're leaning in further with your ears, um, trying to get some kind of sync, not sync effect. Yeah. Some consistency or like some linking up. Cause there are times time-wise. when they overlap and then one will be out. Like the BPM must only be off by five or something like that where the mm-hmm. alarm like matches up and then it falls out again. Um, yeah, it's a classic thing like, you know, being on the street and sitting at the lights and blinkers are link up yeah. for two seconds in two cars and then they go out of sync. Yes. Um, yeah. So, like, like, it's kind of hard to describe what it does story-wise, but in terms of filmmaking technique, I think this rhythm thing is really genius and it is really, well, I guess it's really central to putting you in this thinking state, I think. Well, there's a big part of the film where it's about routine and you know, mechanical and not mechanical in a literal sense, but in like, you know, the idea of technology, but mechanical is in like procedures. And I think that the rhythm is part of that as well. Like the sound design is like part of like straightforward, you know, 
Um, and every scene on the spaceship feels very like routine. Yeah. There's no part where any character, human or robot, steps out of being. Well, I mean, the well, only that's f- the whole drama, only- right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Because even the, our leads are being routine and are doing the right things all the time and the things that you know they've been trained to do a million times before. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I would, and I guess... Sorry, go on. No, I interrupted you. I was just going to say, yeah, it, it is kind of a different sort of... There's like a million different tensions going on in this film, you know, and that's just one tension that is cut loose towards like, you know, the end with the visual scenes or whatever. I think it would be a narrative... Like, if I was trying to articulate what the rhythm part of this film is doing narratively, is it, it's kind of... I guess this is where we get to project in, but in terms of the sci-fi stuff, it's going a little bit like, oh, uh, you know, don't just fall into routine. Don't let everything be automated. But in a in a different sort of sense, it like in a more progressive sort of sense, I think it's kind of like challenging us to understand, to think that we can't really conceptualize what the future is going to be like, but we're going to adapt to the rhythm. Like, so the monkeys all pick up the tools and they're all picking up the tools. So as viewers, we understand that. But to the monkeys, that is like the biggest thing. I think that's such a good way of putting it. It's like, it's like, you know, you've got Anne Hathaway giving speeches about how love is the thing that transcends dimensions, right? In (laughs) Interstellar. Interstellar. And then, (laughs) no, in this film. (laughs) Um and then in this one, you've got Kubrick going, okay, here is industry and procedure, and I'm putting that in space, you know, yeah. which is so much more like bang on human beings in a lot of ways, and I'm putting brands in space, but not like I'm putting brands in space like, like look at how these wacky things, a million things are pumping out your face and it's stimulus overload. It's like just this is, you know. It's the norm. This is why we're here. This is the way that we make sense of the world as, as human beings, and this is how we make sense of space through routine and um and you know whatever. well even your introduction to space is so heavily routine based like that's how he kind of makes you believe that it's real he's going look at this spa- look at this spaceship going through space let's look at what the air hostesses do they do this all the time then hmm. he gets into the space station and he's like oh here's um immigration look how normal it is you just use immigration and then he's like I chill think- with it and well i think it's what makes this film Never go into the territory where it's like, look at all these cool things. Look at how cool the future could be. You don't have that. You you just experience it as a person. Mm. You're not you're like you're being overwhelmed with spectacle, but you're also not being. It's not trying to show its hand. It's like look at these crazy sets and everything we've done. But you know yeah. we're going to make you wait for every new thing to happen. You know what I mean? And you it explains to- why everything does what it does. Sort of. Yeah. It's like oh, of course you know, of course you drink out of a package because it's going to go upside down and you don't want it to. I don't know. Yeah, I, there's definitely, like, the thematic stuff has to do with humans embracing change and evolving and reaching higher levels of convenience but inconvenience and sacrifices and stuff like that, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's another bit. But, yeah, sound I really wanted to highlight because it did stand out. And I think it's a really rewarding part of the film because all the attention goes to cinematography, but the sound has a lot of stuff to enjoy about it. Um, and sound's an interesting one as well because, like, camera... Ca- like, the you know how the, the irony with camera is that film resolution was perfected earlier and then it got fucked up in the middle when we went to digital. And so you can yeah. always return to this old thing. Sound's an interesting one because sound is actually a department that's getting better and better and better and better. Um, well, I, and opportunities I, that's definitely true, but 
you know, with the same way I watch this film and I look at the visuals and go like, these visuals are 100%, you know, Mm. they are perfect. I also listen to old songs, songs from the 60s and 70s, and you literally get that feeling where everything sounds so perfect. You go like, this is perfectly recorded. Um, And I don't know. I think it goes both. It definitely has to do with the whole analog thing and doing things like physically. Um, But I think what sound design has to work with is less than what the visual element of this film has to work with probably, I think is. So you're saying that they just out. fired on all cylinders. Yeah. Like sound nailed it a hundred percent. In this. Well, well, what I'm That's saying is that you're saying that, well, you, you're saying that the department's got better. Sound has gotten better. Right. Um, well, I actually don't mean that. I mean, technically it has, I oh, like in terms of the tools, the tools have gotten better, but the creativity hasn't necessarily. Um, my sound right. teacher was complaining and I think I've, uh, parroted this view before that there's too much sound going on all the time. They don't leave silences like they do in the 70s and the 60s and stuff. So the fact that's what I was trying to get at before. The fact that there was so many silences is so powering. Like they're not they're they're okay with the rhythm of the room tone being beeps and bloops rather than like talking and um, music. Like the fact that I yeah I guess this is related to that Marvel. Um, symphonic universe video by every frame of painting but the the film never tells you how to really feel because even the the his like and there's definitely something here where he's using these old songs you've got your father john misty hands in the air (laughs) these these old songs that you don't completely know but you know them fairly well and they're evocative but they're like they're referencing the human race a little bit the history of man because to to hear these old songs is to kind of acknowledge that stuff that's still being used today was developed in the 1800s, 1700s, whatever. Um, but anyway, the music like, isn't like there there aren't there are distinct gaps in music where they're not going, ah, duh, hell's gonna kill you or something like that. Yeah. They're just trusting the viewer to figure it out, which is cool. Yeah, and patience is obviously the key, the big theme of this pod, well, a yeah. theme. Um, and the thing that blows is so funny. I think what makes you want to be patient is how patient, you know, everybody who worked in this film had to be at the same time mm-hmm. because everything looks like it took a million hours to do yeah. as well. And you can't help but watch it and just feel like, wow, like, and not even like, how did they do that? Like, you, you're kind of like, part of you is like, you know, I don't even, you know, you can watch videos about like how every video effect was made mm-hmm. and you go, that's amazing that they pulled it off by doing this in this crazy ingenious sort of way. And then you're also just there like, I know that that was fucking hard and I'm just like soaking it in. Like, I'm I glad can it feel exists. It. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I feel like so many frames like that happened for me where I was just like, I can't even, Yeah. you just feel every square, you know, millimeter of the, of the screen, I think. Yeah. It's, it's just nuts. Which brings me to something I want, uh, just some more trivia, I suppose. So the effect where we're in the, the airlock where he launches himself in, how do you think they mm-hmm. filmed that, if you can give me a guess? So he launches himself in and he hits the wall and bounces back. Oh, I have no idea. Honestly, I was thinking about that. That was one that did not come clear to me, unless like it was him literally just jumping down from the roof or something. Correct. So he was the, the camera set up at the bottom of the set. On the, he, yeah. he jumped off the edge and then he got lower. And then the guy, there was, he was attached to a wire. 
There was a yeah. dude on the other end of the wire who literally jumped off the other side of the wire to pull him back up. Oh my god, that's so funny. So he could have like died if he hit it properly or whatever. Because it feels like he Man. hits it. Maybe he doesn't actually hit it, but just because the jolt is so sh- sudden. Apparently, if you look closely, you can see him smile. Like he was saying this in an interview because he was like relieved that he didn't die. <laughs> um, yeah. Which is pretty hilarious. And as to this one, because this one comes up as a viewer because the space stuff in this is so well done and so believable. You know, actually, <laughs> one more quick thing on space stuff being really well done. The shadows on the ships, like, are freaking amazing. Like, you've got... I was watching the dude drift off into space and he's got shadows and stuff. And yeah, you watch the ship come around and it's got the right shadows. and Like, and it, like you can achieve that stuff because you're doing it practically. But then I think we're so used to an era where stuff is CGI but not really good at CGI yet. So you get disappointed by those sort of things. But this film is yeah. like, yeah, of course the light source stayed the same because the light source was a freaking light rather than a computer program. But anyway, a nice good part of watching vintage stuff. I've got to say one, just talking about this, that jumping scene. Sure. Um, one scene that I loved was that low camera angle of him on his way into Disconnect Hal and how that it's shooting him from the floor up. I, I don't, like, that was Climbing probably... Climbing up the ladder? Or... No, so him just, like, walking through the room, opening the door and stuff like that because he's on his way to get to... Immediately yeah. after the scene we were just talking about. Um, man, what... I don't know why that stood out to me so much, but that's definitely one of my favorite camera choices in this film. I, so I think when that he's that is... in the red room or where he's, like, got the key bolt and he's unscrewing the, the latches and stuff? Before he goes into the red room and just before he climbs in and the camera angle is literally below him and he's, like, yeah. walking around the camera and stuff like that. Yeah, and he's grabbing I don't the, know why... the, the thing to unscrew and get into the hell room. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that shot stands out to me so much, but I just think that that was such a good, cool decision. I think emotively it's, like, going... Human peen fight back on back. top. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously that whole scene of just undoing, unpowering hell is just like so. Good. It's got to be like, the best film, best scene of the film, right? It's well, got to be one of the best. It's got to be one of the best scenes. It's so like tense and, but like not tense. It's just really like meditates on what it is, and it's so good how you slow, how he slowly kills hell, and just like the dramatic, like yeah, uh, God. It's so beautiful it. to look at I can and feel it's it. so scary at the same time. Man, it's nuts. And well, maybe that's like, this... that, that's like the bone. You know, he's unplugging hell. He's, he's killing something else with tools. And you know what I mean? Like there's definitely a thing there where he's like shutting down a sentient. He's killing a sentient being, which just sorry, I want to keep going on this, which brings back to the other amazing scene, which is him killing the humans in hibernation. How well mm. is that done? It's so like... It's the most graphic murder you've seen on screen, <laughs> but like you don't even see anything. It's so yeah. like that's got to do with the rhythm. That's definitely well, a rhythm section. So this movie is rated G, as far as I'm aware, isn't it? Mm. Which this movie is MA15 plus in terms of the way it makes you feel. I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> well said. Um, yeah, and another thing about the visuals in this film is that they're so good that you anything that ever. Like, you know that beach house video that we were talking about that is set to scenes from yeah. this? And it just makes me so annoyed. Like, I, that's nothing wrong. That's cool looking. But putting that to beach house doesn't even remotely capture yeah. the feeling of this film. Do you know what I mean? You don't go like, wow, 2001, amazing. It just like literally detracts from the visual image you're looking at. Because anything other, and this is completely my wanky statement, so I'm going to cop that. I sound like a complete asshole right now. Sure. But like anything other than the way it is in the film is just not as good. 
you know. It's it's like it's being selfish. It's trying to like steal someone else's exactly. greatness. Exactly. It does. Yeah. Because yeah. you'd do it. You'd be like, hey, if I can associate myself with the best movie, then absolutely. But I mean, that's definitely a thing. It's such an easy way to like put two things that you are aesthetically, you know, have their own aesthetics together as one thing yeah. and it's a different and a lot of the times if they're truly great things on their own they don't it's not as good you know what i mean yeah like another example of and this is like a purely youtube talk right where people do this shit you know yeah. um another one is like the whole frank ocean and anime thing like that one's uh, good though i like that but also it's not akira you know what i mean it's just not because akira is the music in akira is so yeah. itself anyway yeah you know, every like all the Ghibli stuff that's in that, it's just not as good. Like, I'm like, cool, I love White Ferrari or whatever song they're playing, but it's not mm. what it actually is. Yeah. And um, when, this, yeah. the, when, you know, we talk so much about sound that like when the actual visuals and the sound are so tied together, like they are in this, you just can't, you can't improve it, you know? And, that, and that's why this film is so, so good because it doesn't trade on any reference in or... Like, it just exists as its own thing. And mm. I, a huge it's so frustration aesthetic. of mine with the modern yeah. world is everything being referential. It's just frustrating. It, like, it, it undermines escapism. Like, it, this movie can take you to a completely different world because it's not trading on anything you've seen before, really. It's like going, here is this own thing. And you're not going to have to think about brands. You're not going to have to think about, even though, you know, there's brands. But, like, they're, they're so distant, removed to, mm. from us now that it doesn't feel like that. Like, they're not the brands that we know. Um, it's just the yeah. 60s or whatever. Do you have anything? Should we be wrapping up? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, just wanted to say, I'll, do, I'll run through a bit of trivia just quickly. So, yeah. um, yes, he would survive the airlock because NASA and the US Air Force conducted tests in the 50s and 60s, and a human can remain conscious in a vacuum for 10 to 15 seconds. Um, they can also survive for up to 90 seconds without um, irreversible side effects in a vacuum. So, told you. Um, <laughs> death occurs after two to four minutes where you'll lose consciousness and experience paralysis and convulsions. Uh, like, flipping. But yes, he can survive. So, don't be talking shit. His head wouldn't explode. Simpsons have done that one dirty. The film's associate producer, Victor Linden, came up with the idea that Hal would learn about their plot through lip reading. And then Kubrick was mm-hmm. like, hey, good idea is a good idea, apparently. Um, the film Centrifuge was, I think, 30 feet, but 11.58 meters in diameter and weighed 30 tons. As the set rotated, film lights uh, in their state of being really weak all the time, but also in severe heat, would explode upside down and like rain glass upon people. So it was very dangerous. Whoa. <laughs> Emotionally, emotional voice break. Stanley Kubrick, Kia Delia, and Gary Lockwood, so Kubrick and the main two, uh, the two astronauts, they were all afraid of flying, so they actually travelled to England where this was filming by boat, which is quite funny. Kubrick was 40 when the film was made, so I've got, what, 17 years left. The uh, Yeah, I've gone through everything else. That's some trivia. Hope you enjoyed trivia. All right. Trivia is great. The alarm is ringing. Yes. Um. I don't know. I, I, I don't, you probably still have more to say, but I just feel like just let's not do the traditional thing and let's just kind of give a, give like, if you wanted to talk about one or two things that encapsulate what this meant to you or whatever, just do it that way, you know? Yep. Yeah. As I, you know, 
expressed a little bit at the start. This film just transcends every other piece of pop culture I've consumed. It feels like it's completely own thing. Um, it's open-endedness means that you'll always be able to rewatch it and enjoy it. Um, looks good, sounds good, feels good. Um, this, yeah, all I can say is that this is a perfect film because it's unlike anything else I've seen before, and it nails things that I think I know that I didn't know I needed to know, and like with mm. the camera work and the edit and stuff. Um, yeah, great, love this what, film. What are, you, what are you rating it? <laughs> uh, look. It's with a heavy heart. I'll give it a four and a half. Um, but, you know, just uh, too long. Not enough love. No. Five stars. Six stars. Well, th- this is funny because I'm trying to use the spectrum properly these days, but this is the sort of film that is bigger than a five. <laughs> Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like, I, I literally agree. It makes you regret. It makes you question every four and a half. Well, we gave Forsaken for Strangers a five, which in like modern context is a five because it's a perfect mockumentary. Like, it's hilarious. But, yeah. like, this doesn't even exist in the same realm as that film. And I don't think they'd be upset to hear us say that, you know? You know what's funny about this is that I can watch this and give it a five and honestly not feel like a douchebag and, like, I'm recycling old cinematic yeah. cliches and conversations because it. I, I just know that my experience is it's pure emotion. You and know you know what it's mean? yours? It feels like it's yours as well because and, it is You know, we got a, through this whole yeah. pod and... We haven't even tried to decipher. We didn't even haven't even talked about the ending scene. The last ten minutes of this film, you know. All I'll say and about it is that it it hit even better on a big screen. I will say that. Yeah. Like, cause and I'm just yeah. Okay. I don't know. It just this film just feels like all the best art that I've you know you, that you've been lucky enough to consume in your life that really just takes you somewhere else. It's visual and, poetry. It's poetry without yeah. the pretension. Yeah. And and it's just every scene, every second of this film is beautiful to watch. Whether it's filming a space or a human being, you know, or a it's monkey just suit. or a monkey suit. It's just like so enthralling, and feels like you're walking through the most engaging like art gallery ever. And they've got cool music playing from the speakers. So yeah, it's the easiest five that I've had to give. Give I, yep. you know, like. I haven't taken ownership as this, as my favorite film ever, but it, it's just like, you know, it, it just really spoke to me and it's spoken. I'm sure that it does that to everyone. And it's, it's just funny because I can look at people that I know love this. Like I was saying, there's like a cinematic perspective where you're like, wow, look at the spectacle. Look at what they were doing back then. Mm-hmm. And then you're also saying there's like a big stoner following, right? Where you go, I need to, I'm going to take acid and watch this film. And it's like, I, I'm so far removed from both of those camps. And I feel like my experience is so different from those camps. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And I think that's just amazing. And that's like yeah. why you have to respect it. Well, you don't have to respect it, but that's what part of the you reason have why to I respect, respect, respect You it. have to respect this movie. Hmm. I feel fairly confident in that. But, you know. Yeah. Just being patient sometimes feels good as well. I, I enjoy that element it, of yeah, it. Yeah, it's a unique rewarding experience in this film. Like, yeah. Yeah, there All we right. have it. That's it. Have Episode you seen the trailer for, for 2010 though? I, it, let's, I want to watch it. It's a complete drama. Like it's not this at all. I watched. I've it. heard that it's from what I've read on Letterbox and a podcast I was listening to. I feel like it's meant to be like, oh, not bad for what, but just like if you forget that it's like the sequel to yeah, this it's a space drama. It's like a pretty decent space drama. Interesting. Hmm. Cool. All right. Um, follow Fo- us <laughs> on Instagram at I'm Good Brother. Follow me on Letterboxd. L-I-L-S-I-L-K-Y, Lil Silky. And your I'm Good Brother on 
letterbox. Um, Correct. Yeah. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. This is B. The pod. The pod cast. The pod doors. fame doors. Open the pod fame doors. Let us in, Hal. Sweet. And Hal's just like, this conversation will serve no further purpose. You should play that clip right there as it ends. Smart. All right. So, yeah. Another classic or a fresh one. If we knew what we wanted, you'd be useless. Tell us what's in, tell us who's done. Another antique shipwreck you spun. It's a Friday or a Tuesday. They mark my week, tell me when and where and what's fun. Maybe if we, maybe if us, another sentiment.